Welcome. Always and continually a pleasure to gather with you all uh, Sunday mornings. So, uh, as is our regular practice, let's get Bibles into everybody's hands. We have lots of announcements today, communion, and uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we'll be. So, if you have Bibles with you, 1 Timothy 4 is the place where we will focus our slightly more brief time in the Word today. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And the guys in the back will bring one up to you, nice and high, so they can see. And, and remember, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, and we pass one out to you, feel free to keep it. You can take that home with you. Just don't use it as a doorstop or a paperweight or something like that. If you're going to take it, uh, the best thing you can do is, is read it and live it. Thank you. Someone agrees with that. Am I alone? Is this thing on? Hello? All right, let's pray, and we'll get into the Word together. Father, as we uh, just come, Lord, I pray that you put joy in our hearts despite our circumstances. Lord, we know that uh, our minds tend to focus on all that's going wrong and all that is bad and all that is hurtful, Lord. And I pray that this morning you just help our minds to remember what is good and what is praiseworthy and what is right, and what is solid. All of these things that we would meditate on those things. Father, I pray as we open up your word, that that you're just feeding us, Lord. We come with our mouths wide open asking you to fill them, Lord. Just fill our minds, fill our hearts from your word. We're just excited uh, to learn, to grow in our relationship with you, to know more about you, Lord. Just uh, that we would someday... Know just as we're known, Lord, in that day when we see you face to face. So we just give you our attention. Uh, Lord, we pray against uh, anything demonic or satanic that would come and try to steal this word. We know that as soon as it, it goes out, you are there when it falls on hard ground. That, that Satan is there to steal it away. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would protect us this morning. Just place a covering over us so we can just have this time at your feet. And I pray that any hard hearts would be softened even now as I pray. We pray this all in the name of your Son, by whom and through whom all creation was made and all things are possible. Jesus Christ, amen. 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 We are in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, some well-known passages we'll look at this morning. Timothy, this young interim pastor, you could call him. I think the book of 1 Timothy is a great book for interim pastors. Timothy wasn't going to be the regular leader of the church in Ephesus, but he was there to kind of fix some of the things that were broken. And and he's a young man. He was a young disciple of Paul. Uh, Paul had picked him up in Lystra and Derbe when he was traveling, and this young guy became uh, like a son, a spiritual son to the Apostle Paul, and, and Paul sends him into this church in Ephesus to, to clean some things up, to clean up the pulpit, to, to charge others that they teach no other doctrine, nothing different than the gospel, the true gospel that we learn in the Bible, in the Word of God, uh, and to teach them how to behave in the house of God as representatives of, ambassadors of, children of the living God. There are behaviors that accompany that. And so Timothy, again, is bringing these things, ultimately, the, the, 
The summary is back there in chapter 3, verse 15. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And that's what we are. That's who we are as the church. We're, we're the pillar and the ground of the, church, of the truth. And we live this truth out in our lives, hopefully, that the world uh, that doesn't know God sees Jesus Christ in us, in our marriages, in our families, in our lives. And so chapter 4 uh, stirred up a little bit of uh, interest a couple weeks ago, and, and I've, I've blogged on that on the website, so I won't go into details. But we're now down in, in verse 12, and let's just read it through, and then we'll come back and, and we'll unpack it a little bit, and then we will share communion together. Verse 12 of chapter 4 of First Timothy says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. There is a, in the church and, and out in the world, a generation gap, isn't there? And I think electronics and media have sort of increased the gap. And, and there is this challenge between uh, the older folks and the younger folks. And when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, uh, let no one despise your youth. Uh, Timothy was a young man. Exactly how old he was, we do not know for sure. Most commentators say somewhere in his 30s, between 30 and 40. And the word for youth here is specifically uh, can, can mean a person up to age 40, which would be up until the time they would still be enlistable for military service. So that's why my name tag says no longer young. I'm 43. So I've passed the age. I'm no longer considered Young, my kids could have told you that long ago. Um, but the older folks in here, those older than 40, those in their 50s and 60s, sometimes we struggle with the younger generation, don't we? And if I ask you, what, what's your impression of the younger generation, the next generation? Well, I, I wonder, wonder what words we might share, what things you might say. Anybody want to offer? I mean, just open it up. Anybody? No, you... There's kids in here. You don't want to do that. I'll say it. You know, some of us maybe have the impression like this article I printed out from Psychology Today. The title of the article is, Are Today's Youth Even More self, Self-Absorbed and Less Caring Than Generations Before? And I hope the, the young folks in here know that your generation, and that's not just the teenagers, that's the 20-somethings and even the 30-somethings, that these generations have a reputation for what? Well, for being self-centered for being self-absorbed, for being entitled, for being materialistic. This is the reputation. Now, this article says, uh, and related in a survey uh, research that was done, this psychologist labeled the current generation of young people the I generation or generation me. In her book, she described how young people today take it for granted that self comes first. And has labeled this time 
a narcissism epidemic, stating that we are living in the age of entitlement. The researchers linked the self-absorption and lack of empathy together, calling the current generation one of the most self-centered, narcissistic, competitive, confident, and individualistic in recent history. It's not surprising that this growing emphasis on the self is accompanied by a corresponding devaluing of others. They go on to say that any, to remind us that any statements about an entire generation are not true of every person in that generation. Clearly, there are young people today who are deeply empathetic and caring, but the general trends and statistics are alarming, and it would behoove those of us in a position to influence today's youth to pay attention and be proactive about it while we can. So, you know, some of us would say, well, this young generation, as we get older, you know, we, we learn stuff. And we just know those young guys, those young girls and guys, you know, uh, God bless them. They just don't, they think they know more than they do. They think they've got it figured out. They, they think they're smart. And well, just wait till they're our age and then they'll learn something. And that music, I don't get that music stuff. And the way that they dress, can you believe the way that they dress these days? I can't believe that. And oh, the things that they, I just can't. We just can't relate to them. And you know what? They're on the other side going, those older folks, we just can't relate to them. The way that they dress, that music that they listen to. And, and, us, and us older folks, I'll gr- group myself in there too. It's like, you know, we can despise. We can think little of. We can, and literally the word that Paul uses for despise is to think against or to think down. And we can do that. Until we need something electronic figured out. And then we need them, right? <laughs> oh, how do you program this? Or, I'm a mess at home. I, if it wasn't for Jacob, I'd live in a cave, I think. Jacob saves me. So, how do you turn this on? <laughs> you know? Where's the on button? Uh, I can't figure this. So, so we need the youth because they understand this stuff. And they've got energy and they've got passion. And those are good things. But look what's happening in the church today. There's a real alarming thing. And, and this is just my own personal observation do you see the split happening in the church we have the older folks that are gathering together saying well it's always been done this way those young folks they don't know anything we don't like their music we don't like their attitude they you know so we're going to go and we're going to just we're going to pull all the wagons in a circle and just keep to ourselves and so you've got churches that have no young people in them no children no youth because they don't want to hear what they have to say they say that they want change these older churches but they really don't And so they look down on the youth, and they don't involve the youth, and they don't encourage the young folks. And so the youth are going, hey, we don't need you. We'll go have our own churches. But there's something lacking there, too. There's a wisdom that older folks can bring. There's an understanding that it's true that that, uh, gray hair does and can bring wisdom. Doesn't always. But it can. We've been through some stuff. You've been through some stuff, haven't you? You've been there. You've done that. Well, the second article that I pulled down today is from Science Daily. It says, today's youth aren't ego-driven slackers after all. Today's youth are generally not the self-centered, antisocial slackers that previous research has made them out to be, according to this new study. Scientific analysis of nearly half a million high school seniors spread over three decades concluded that more often than not, kids these days are about the same as they were back in mid-70s. The study uh, refutes previous studies classifying today's youth as selfish loafers with extremely high levels of self-esteem. The researcher said it's common for older generations to paint youth in a negative light, as lazy and self-absorbed, for example, which can perpetuate stereotypes. 
Kids today are like they were 30 years ago. They're trying to find their place in the world. They're trying to carve out an identity, and it can be difficult. What's that article saying? Saying, hey, folks, they're just like we were. They're just like we were, and, and, they're, and we're doing the same thing our parents did and said about us. So it just continues. And so as we look in the Word of God, what I want to say in a general sense this morning is really this is written to Timothy as a young man. And some of you know I have a real heart for young folks, especially young men, 20-something, 30-something men, because that's where I started in ministry. And it's easy to, to, and this was what Timothy was facing. He says, Paul says to Timothy, let no one, and it's literally keep on despising or keep on thinking against your youth. Timothy, he says, you're a young man and you're now in a place of leadership over guys that are twice your age. And the stereotype they have of your generation is that what can you possibly know? Because you're only a young man. Now, when I first started in ministry, when I first uh, began uh, following the Lord, it was in my 20s, and I was part of a men's Bible study, and the guy who was leading that said, Steve, I see something in your life. And I didn't see it at the time. I wanted to run from it. But in 1999, at age 30, started my first Bible study. And I was told, well, you can try it, but no one's going to come. See, that was that despising, you know, despising the, well, you're just a young guy. You don't really know what you're doing. Hey, I thank God for the young people that don't know what they're not supposed to be able to do. Amen? Before we indoctrinate them and tell them, oh, you'll never do that. It'll never work. I thank God for the kids that have fresh ideas and fresh thoughts and they sing a new song to the Lord. Uh, amen. Age 35, started this fellowship. And I remember looking at some of the, the uh, folks you know, that would come in, and, and I have one fellow in mind, that there's a guy in our church who, who became, uh, we've, been, we've been becoming friends and, and closer over the last you know, five or six years, seven years that we've been serving together in this fellowship. And he's uh, you know, near, no, he's not twice my age, but almost, and he reads the Bible in three languages and has been studying it for 50 years. And I thought, you know, what do I have to offer this guy? You know, he's a giant compared to me. And he's been so gracious toward me and so encouraging of me. And not rather than despising the fact that, you know, hey, I'm just some young guy. What can I possibly know? And I don't know anything. That's the key. I know that I don't know anything. That we're dependent on the Lord. And so the reality for Timothy is he's up against it in this church. The elders were really elders. They were in their 60s. The, probably Paul, probably in his 60s or 70s at the time he's writing this. And, and he says to Timothy, look, there's going to be this tendency for people to look down on you simply because of your age. And you can't change your age. You can't do anything about that. But what you can do is be an example. What you can do is be the change you want to see in the church. Rather than separating from the church, rather than starting your own thing, you show us older folks what it is it's supposed to look like. God loves, God in, enjoys using young people. Think about it. How old was Jesus when he started his ministry? 30. Jeremiah. I, I just marked this passage Jeremiah, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
I ordained you to be a prophet. And then Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm a youth. And the Lord said, Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. I love that. God says, Jeremiah says, I'm a youth. I can't do it. God says, don't say that. I don't want to hear that. I'm going to be with you. And I hope that the youth in here are hearing what I'm saying. You're never too young to serve the Lord. If you've read the book, Kisses from Katie, how she started a a, a movement in orphanages and schools in Uganda instead of going to college. She couldn't, he couldn't. She went to college, she couldn't get her mind off the mission trip she took to Uganda. And that's just one, that's just one area. That's just one example. I look here in our church, half, if we didn't have youth, we wouldn't have a praise team. And I look at little young Danny sitting there operating the, the, the overhead for this morning. And the youth that are involved in so many areas. And He doesn't say that, look what he says. He says, be, an example, be a pattern to follow. It's Christmas season. Jeremiah. We've got, we've got Mary. 15 years old, 14 years old, when the Lord says, I'm going to use you to give birth to my son. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. As a 15-year-old girl, Lord, that's what you want to do with my life? Here I am. We've got Daniel. A teenager taken in captivity to Babylon from Israel. And there in captivity, he says, I purposed in my heart not to defile myself with the king's delicacies. He, he made a decision in his heart. As a teenager, he made a decision in his heart that he was going to be pure. And see, we look at this young generation, and, and I want to encourage again, the, young, the younger generation, don't prove the stereotypes right. Prove us wrong. Show us we're wrong about you. Live up to what God is calling you to be. You know, so many of the youth are just are, are encouraging the stereotype by just being focused on media and just being focused on self and just being focused on fashion. And Paul says to Timothy, don't, let, don't give them fuel for the fire. Instead, be an example, be a pattern to the believers. Now, he doesn't say be a pattern in emotionum. In emotional worship. Although that's fine. Nothing wrong with emotional worship. Because we see that in the young generation. We see a very emotional, passionate singing and praising the Lord. And that's good and that's fine. But that's not what Paul tells Timothy. What Paul tells Timothy is what? Be an example in word. It's one thing to come and, oh Lord, we love you and fall on the floor and, and be passionate about God. And, but, and then to go out and share profanity on your Facebook page. See, that's what God is calling the young generation to. Be an example in word. The things you say, Timothy, the things you teach, the things you espouse, the way you talk, the way you share in in media. Be an example in word. Be an example in conduct, your behavior. Timothy, if you act immature and you you pursue all these immature things, then then they're going to continue to think that they were right about you. Timothy, you've got to prove them wrong. Show them about maturity. You, you can't change your age, but you can change your maturity. There's some kids, there's some young folks in this fellowship that, that maturity-wise put some of the older folks to shame in their desire to pursue the Lord. These, these guys and girls are getting together on their own for Bible studies, and they're really pursuing the Lord together. 
Be an example in conduct. Be an example in love. In love, in selflessness. And that's what we accuse him of, isn't it? Selfishness. So Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't do like other, like the world's kids do, like the kids that have no God in their life. Do like a kid who's a son of God. Do like a young man, Timothy would be. And, and be an example of love. When someone comes down on you, when someone comes against you, what do you do in return, Timothy? You love them. That's an example of love, isn't it? You be an example in love, in spirit. That's that passion part. Be an example in spirit. Be an example in faith. I wonder if we ask anybody in here, let alone the, uh, the, the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, you know, when's the last time you did something that took faith, that took conviction? When's the last time you just look at your life and say, well, that, I did that and that really took faith to do that? Whatever it is. Be an example in faith. And here's a, here's a wonderful one. Timothy in Ephesus, the, the place of the, the goddess Diana and temple prostitution, Paul would tell Timothy, flee youthful lusts and be an example of what? Purity. And I don't think that's just sexual purity. I think that's just purity in motive. Purity in life. Just, Timothy, live a pure life. There's such freedom in that. There's, man, that that's the way to rest your conscience, living a pure life. You don't have to worry about what's going to catch up with you someday when you live a pure life. Be an example. Uh, verse 13. Till I come, and Paul was, gonna, was planning to come back to Ephesus, to this church. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Timothy, there's a lot going on. You're up against a lot of discouraging things. And, but, and here's the thing you need to pay attention to as the interim pastor of that church, pay attention to reading. Now, that doesn't mean just Timothy's personal reading. It means the public reading. This is what we do. We read this message publicly, and this public reading would be accompanied by commentary. Just like this is what we do. This is why we do what we do at Calvary Chapel. And you'll see that at the end of this why it's so important. But we give attention to reading. And, and I'm called to do that. And the, the teaching elders in this church are called to do that. Because uh, if we don't do it, you're not doing it. You know, I'm the one that's got, this is, we're a body, right? And every part of the body has a different role. And it's my part, and it's, our, the, again, those that fill in and substitute teach uh, at times. I've got to give attention to reading and to exhortation, to thinking. It takes time to pray and think and seek the Lord on these things week after week and day after day. And if I get distracted by a bunch of other things, look, I about had a meltdown two weeks ago. Some of you know that. I was like at the end of my rope. And it's not your fault. It's my fault. And we know pastors suffer and struggle with burnout. And the problem is our church is growing and there's a lot of needs. And sometimes um, you guys don't understand that I got a family too. And I got stuff going on in our home. And so I've got to pay attention to that or I'm disqualified from ministry altogether. And then we've got a family here, a growing family. And... um, but the number one thing on my list, the number one thing on Timothy's list for that church, because we're talking about how to keep a church healthy or how to fix a broken one, the number one thing to the pastor is to give his attention to reading and to studying and to exhorting the congregation, to, to challenging you guys, and then to equip you to go and for you to go and do the work of the ministry. 
So instead of calling up Pastor Steve and saying, hey, you know, uh, can you go visit this person or can you go do that or can you do this? And I, I've had to get my schedule back under control these days because it was starting to, to suffer. And the first thing that suffers for the pastor, all the immediate needs are the, one that, the ones that get paid attention to. And then what happens? Oh, it's Saturday night. I've got to prepare a sermon. And I serve uncooked food. And I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Charles Spurgeon said, I like to sit on my eggs a long time before they hatch. And so there's the, we're in this new season as a church, aren't we? We're past the season where the pastor and the elders can do it all. And so the responsibility that is coming to us as a body, those of you that are gifted with compassion, be compassionate. Those of you that are gifted with giving, give. Those of you that are, are gifted with helping, help. Teaching, teach, and on it goes. The, te- the, the instruction equips you to then go and do the work of the ministry. And we're at a point now where we need you to do that. The body of Christ needs you to do that. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Give attention to these things and look at verse 14. He says, don't neglect it. And literally, to neglect is to be careless with. Man, I, felt like, I feel like in my life there's some things I've done. It's like I, I always had to work hard for what I, I did. For, to succeed at anything, I had to work really hard. Some people, man, they're just naturals. You know anybody like that? Just hate them. You know, man, you make me so mad. You're, just so, you're such a natural at that thing. It's like a football coach who sees a, a kid come in, and he's in 10th grade, he's 6'5 and 280 pounds. So you got a responsibility to play football for this school, you know, the size like that. And, you know, and, and I say that in jest, but the idea is, you know, you're gifted. You've got some natural ability. Don't waste it partying. Don't waste it. Don't blow it, blow it off. And see, because Timothy was discouraged. Uh, you ever been discouraged? You ever had someone discourage you? Again, like me saying, hey, you know, you can go ahead and try to teach a Bible study, but no one's going to come. I love when people say that. That just makes me want to do it all the more. You want to make me do something, tell me I can't do it. And that makes me want to do it all the more. But Timothy wasn't like that. Timothy was easily discouraged. He was a little bit of a timid guy, I think. And so when the people were coming against him because he's young, he was believing the hype. He was believing the press. And so he was not doing the thing he should be doing. And the church was suffering. He says, Timothy, don't keep neglecting. These are all commands. Timothy, don't keep neglecting the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy and the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Timothy, remember when we stood around you, when we heard from God, that this was calling your life. Timothy, we don't want other people to look down on you. Don't look down on yourself either. Remember, this is God at work in your life. And I look around this room, and I want to say the same thing to this group. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. Every one of you who is saved and redeemed by the Lord, born again by the Spirit, has been given a gift. And they're all different. And they're all necessary. And to neglect that gift is to cheat this body. To not do what God has called you to do is to be careless with a gift, an ability that God has given you. That He's given you not to sit on, And not to stuff away so you can pursue it. He's given it so you can build up the body. Right? Are we awake out there? Are we together? Amen. So please, we're at this point in our church where we need that. We need you to do. You know, there's so many things that come. Well, I'll get to that after the kids graduate. I know God's calling me to it, but now's not a good time. 
Imagine if you were, you, you know, you, you would sign up for military service and, and the military called you up and said, all right, we need you to go to Afghanistan. Oh, you know, I'd love to, but wow, my kid's birthday's next week and then, then it's Christmas and I've got a really busy, busy schedule. How about next summer? No way, you know. You've been bought with a price. Your life is not your own. You're the Lord's. And he gives you those gifts. He loves you. He empowers you. And there is no blessing on the face of this earth greater than being used by the living God to build up his body. It is such a blessing when, you get, when you're used by God. So he says, Timothy, don't neglect the gift because he was doing just that. He was being careless with the gift. He had sort of gotten out of the game. He was benched. Paul says, get back in the game. It was given to you by God uh, and it was the elders laid hands on you. Remember that. Verse 15, he says, meditate on these things. Revolve these things around. Rather than meditating on all the, the things people are saying about you, coming down on you, meditate on the things that, that you've been called to. Think about those things. You get to choose what you think about, don't you? And so often we meditate on the thousand things that are going wrong. Those are the things we roll over and over in our head and then that affects us emotionally. And all Timothy's thinking about is, I can't do it. I'm not qualified. Everybody tells me I'm too young. And Paul says, stop it, Timothy. Remember what God is doing in your life. Meditate on that. Think on that. Roll that around in your head. And give yourself entirely to them. Don't halfway it, Timothy. Don't keep one foot in, one foot out. Give yourself entirely. Jump in with both feet. Put all your eggs in one basket. Isn't that so like us? We, just, we give sort of a little bit, but we're afraid. What if it's not true? What if we find out the Bible's wrong? What if there is no God? Then we're all sunk. So get over it and get in with both feet, Timothy. And you and me. Give yourself entirely to them. And what happens? Your progress will be evident to all. Look, what you do privately, what you think about mentally, is demonstrated publicly. It's true. The way you live privately affects the way you live publicly. Seven days without the Bible, someone said, makes one week. Think about that. Seven days without the Bible makes one week. W-E-A-K. Let me ask you guys, let me ask the young folks, let me ask the teenagers, let me ask the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings. Are you making any progress? Are you, are you advancing in your walk with God at all? Or are you where you were three years ago or worse? Maybe you've backslidden. Then I would hazard to say you're meditating on the wrong things and you're not giving yourself entirely to the Lord. You're holding back, you're pulling up short, all your eggs are not in one basket that your progress may be evident to all. And this was important, especially for those in leadership. Those in leadership in here, our elders, our teachers in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry, and our, lead, our youth leaders, the folks, that, the, the young guys and girls that are seen as leaders in this fellowship. Um, we ought to see the, the progress. It ought to be evident. Man, you can say, wow, that guy, he's really growing in the Lord. That girl, man, look at the progress she's making. Wow, amazing what God is doing. And then finally, he says uh, to Timothy, continue in them. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, verse 16. Take heed to yourself. This is what he's been saying. Timothy, pay attention to yourself, your life, your walk, and to the teaching. This is the role. Every pastor, if a pastor, if all he does is teach and doesn't live it, 
then he's no good. Then ministry becomes a monstrosity. Before I sit here, God's been working on me for a week on this stuff and longer. He's challenging me from this, from all that we're reading here each, each day. Take heed to yourself. It's so easy to worry about what other people are doing, right, or not doing. Well, they're not doing this, and they're not doing that, and the youth can worry, oh, the, the old folks, they're not doing this, and the old folks, oh, the youth, they're not doing this. They should be doing this. We know how they should dress. We know what they should listen to. They need to get their act straight. And Paul reminds Timothy, you can't change other people. Do you know the only person you can change is you, Right? You can't change your spouse. You can't change your kids. You can pray for them, but you can't change them. But you can take heed and you can be an example of the changes you want to see in your own life. Take heed to yourself and the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Um, Just by way of final exhortation before we uh, share communion together, you know, we live in a time when there are so many trends. It's so, the next book that's out on the shelves, the next trend that comes along in the church. And, and as a young pastor, and there's a lot of young pastors in this generation. There's a lot of guys my age, younger, 20s, 30s, that are pastoring churches and big churches. And the challenge is to get away from the basic, simple teaching of God's Word and follow whatever trend is coming down the pike. And Paul says to Timothy, don't get hung up on fables, Don't get hung up on stories. Stick to the steady teaching and exhortation of the Word of God. And if you do that, what's the result? If you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. See, he doesn't mean, we know Timothy's not going to save anybody eternally. That's the Spirit of God's job. But to save can also mean to keep safe. To keep safe. Churches get so confused when pastors follow just whatever trend is coming. And pastors get confused. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. It's this book. It's that book. It's this series. It's that series. And the congregation feels like a yo-yo. First they're over here. Then a new pastor comes and they're over there. Walter, Walter always reminds me and tell, you know, we talk about this. What happens if, if I get run over by a bus? And one of my pastor friends told me, don't worry unless Walter buys a bus. But what happens if something happens to me? Because I've made it our point. I mean, we, this is what we do, right, church? Why? Because I want to keep us safe. Because Paul said to Timothy, the reality is, some are going to depart from the faith. And we can run around and say, don't depart from the faith. Don't depart. Don't, oh, be careful. Be careful. Or we can just keep teaching you the truth. And then you can identify the errors. And if anything were to happen to me, I pray that this congregation will not accept anything less than this pulpit than the steady, systematic, verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching of the Word of God. That's a pitiful clap. (laughs) That's better. Because then it's not about the pastor. It's not about... the, The thing that's consistent is it's the Word. And no matter where you go around the world, if you're hearing from the Word, you're being blessed and you're being built up. And then it doesn't matter who does it. It's still the Word of God. And then the congregation is formed not into the image of the pastor, but in the image of Jesus Christ, because he is the Word made flesh, right? So let's have, Phil, you're going to come up, I think. Uh, where's Phil? Another old guy. Come on up here, old man. <laughs> and we're going to share communion. I went a little bit longer 
than I usually do, so we're not going to take quite as much time for communion, but we still have some good time. And here's what I want to do. While Phil shares, we're going to have some folks up here in the front praying. If any of these things have really hit you, especially the young folks, um, let's let's take these things before the Lord. Have you stopped progressing? Is your life an example to other people? Is it an example to the believer? Can we look, can someone look at your life and say, wow, that's what a Christian's supposed to look like? And if those things aren't happening, then we need to pray that they do. Because God didn't put His Spirit in us so that we could continue in sin. He put His Spirit in us so we could be free from our sin. So Phil's going to lead us in song. We're going to share a message or some music together. We'll be up here for prayer. Uh, do you want them standing or sitting, Phil? Doesn't matter.